Children's Church, you can be heading that way. Everybody else, if you take your copy of the Scripture today, please, and turn again to the book of Ephesians. We're winding down our study. We find ourselves now in the sixth chapter of Ephesians, and we're kind of in the, uh, the beginning of that chapter. We've, we've talked about some things already. We're going to look at some more things, obviously, today, and then we'll be getting into spiritual warfare uh, here probably next time. But today we find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, we'll begin reading here in a little bit at verse number 5. We all struggle with work sometimes, don't we? I mean, if you're still working in the workforce, it is a struggle at times, um, like these rumored notes on the hospital charts that were probably put down by a frazzled nurse or a sleepy intern. These are rumored notes on a hospital chart. Patient has left white blood cells at another hospital. Patient has chest pain if she lies on her left side for over a year. This one was quite interesting. The patient refused autopsy. You know, when that happens, it's just nothing, nothing more you can do. Uh, this one says, on the second day, the knee was better. On the third day, it disappeared. This was an interesting one to me. The patient has been depressed since she began seeing me in 1993. I saw your patient today who is still under our car for physical therapy. This one says, skin, somewhat pale, but present. That's always good. And finally, this one really struck me. It might strike some of you especially. Patient has two teenage children, but no other abnormalities. <laughs> we all struggle in our work sometimes, but sometimes the struggle is not simple mistakes and just blunders on our part. Sometimes we struggle with work in general. It's Sunday, but Monday's coming, and it's hounding us quickly. With that thought that Monday's coming, it might throw you into maybe a sense of dread or panic or doom or gloom when you think about the fact that uh, you just have, it seems, a few more hours of maybe freedom. I read as I was studying this this past week that the average person spends 90,000 hours at work or one-third of their life. Now, some of you weren't depressed until I shared that statistic. 90,000 hours or one-third of your life will be spent working. Maybe some of you say, well, I feel like I've spent actually two-thirds of my life working, but that's the average. Now, you don't have to be depressed. You don't have to dread the work world. You might be thinking, well, you don't know my boss, preacher. Well, that's true, I don't. But I want to talk to you as believers going into the workforce. Jesus Christ changes everything. And God cares greatly about our work. And all of us have various works, the type of works that we do. Uh, some of us do uh, maybe office work. Some others maybe do physical labor. Uh, we have a, a great assortment of different types of occupations represented here in the congregation today. As you think about work, we need to think biblically. We really need to have a theology of work because if we're going to spend one-third of our life doing something, we're going to spend 90,000 hours of our life engaged in an occupation. We need to have an understanding about exactly how do I do that as a believer? How do I honor God in that? Think about work just in general for a moment. Did you realize that our God is a worker? Our God is a worker. 
I mean, He's the one who created all the wonderful things that we see, the creation. It shows the handiwork of our God. Our God is a worker. He's at work. He's at work all the time. Furthermore, uh, God made man to work. God made us to work. There's a misconception that we have to work because we fell into sin. But actually, the truth of the matter is, man was given work before the fall. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Work was not a result of sin. Work was given as a gift of God to man in order to tend and to keep the garden. Now, it is true, the reason that we struggle in our work, the reason that we have such problems in our work, the reason that work is so hard is because man did fall into sin. Adam and Eve, our, our great-great-grandparents far ago, Adam, our representative, fell into sin. And because of that, Genesis three seventeen through 19, it says, Then to Adam he said, Because you've heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. But thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the herb of the field in the sweat of your face. The reason it's so hot, the reason it's so hard, in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And so really when you're working and it's hard, you're out maybe digging in the garden and all of a sudden you're being eat up with fire ants. Just a reminder, that's our fault. That wasn't the way it was supposed to be. God put man in a perfect place, a perfect garden, a per- perfect atmosphere, perfect marriage partner, perfect everything, and told him, don't eat of this. But man chose to eat of it. And he, being a representative, plunged the human race into sin. And now we work a gift from God, but it's much more difficult. Why? Because of sin. Furthermore, when you think about work, we have to remember that our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, was a worker. You know, Jesus Christ came, perfect God, perfect man, joined together in the flesh, the incarnation. And you know, when you think about Christ's life, we we read about it at the beginning, and then we have an episode when he was 12 years old. Then there's all this time that passes in his life that we know nothing much about before he begins his public ministry. But we do know what he was doing, right? Because before he began teaching and preaching and healing, what was he doing? He was laboring along as a carpenter. He was working with his hands. He was laboring. He was sweating. He's a man, perfect God-man. But he knows what it is to work. And so our God is a worker. God made us to work. The Lord Jesus Christ is a worker. In fact, we know He's praying, making intercession for us. It says He's preparing a place for us even now. And so God's Word has much to say about our work. God cares about your job. God cares about you in that job. I know sometimes it may not seem like it, especially on the hardest days, but let's see some more today what God says about our work. Now, we could go to a lot of passages and look at a lot of things, but we're going to keep our focus here in Ephesians and see what God says about us here and our work in the book of Ephesians. Now, these words, before we read them, they're addressed to bond servants. They're addressed to slaves. In that culture and time, the scholars tell me there were millions of slaves. As I was reading and studying this past week, they gave different figures. 
But just suffice it to say, there were millions of slaves. Millions of slaves. In fact, their culture ran so much based upon the slavery of that day. And though we are not in bondage in that way today, praise the Lord, the instructions that are laid out here in this passage are for us whether we're slave or free. In fact, you'll say that phrase, slave or free, as we read. And so as we read today, we're not thinking about slave and master as much as we're thinking about employee and employer. As we're thinking about worker and boss. I think it would be safe to say even to students, you could think about it in regard to student and teacher. That is the one in authority and the one under authority. The one giving the instruction and the one carrying out the instructions. And so this passage hits us where we live. It's Sunday, but Monday's coming. And so let's see what God has to say to us in Ephesians chapter 6. This is something we can take with us tomorrow morning as we rush out the door to the field, to the factory, or to the office. Ephesians chapter 6, begin reading at verse 5. Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, doing service as to the Lord... And not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that for your own master also is in heaven and there's no partiality with him. Now, I read that kind of quickly and we kind of looked at that together, but I don't know if you caught something very important. And that is, as we read that passage, I don't know if you caught how much it talked about the Lord. In fact, I want to read it again, but I want to put emphasis this time as you follow along in your copy of the Scripture. And I want you to look for the Lord being mentioned again, all right? Our same verses, verse 5. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, And there is no partiality with him. Did you notice in every single verse, whether he's talking to the bondservant or to the master, to the employee or the employer, to the worker or the boss, the emphasis there is upon the Lord. There's a regard concerning the Lord. There should be a consideration of Christ in every area of our life as believers. Why? Because Christ is our life. For us, there is no division. Now, if you're a Christian today, if you know Jesus Christ as a Savior, by the way, if you don't, please come to faith in Christ today. But if you're a believer today, there is not to be a division in your life between the sacred and the secular. In other words, for the believer, it's not that I'm one type of person on Sunday morning and I'm a different person on Monday morning. Now, I have different responsibilities. And so Sunday morning, my life looks different. Your life looks different. You get up, you dress up, you go to church, you worship. And then tomorrow, you go off to work, you'll get up, 
You'll shower, you'll dress, you go to work. And though you have different responsibilities, you're in different places, you have different spheres of life, you're to be the same person as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to be the same man on Sunday morning as I am on Monday morning and Tuesday morning and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. There is no division in our lives between the secular and the sacred. If you're a follower of Christ, you're a follower of Christ 24-7, 365. How much harm has been done to the cause of Christ and to the testimony of believers because people who live one way at church and another way at work. One way at church, but another way at school. There's no consistency in our life. And so we're to be a Christian at all times, in all areas. We've got to remember the lost. They don't see us at church often. Why? Because they're not there. The lost, they see us at work. They see us at school. They see us at the store. They see us out among them in the spheres of life where we find ourselves. And so our life speaks very, very loudly to many people. Uh, if we were to go and talk to your co-workers, what would they say? Do they know that you're different? Do they know that you're a person of faith? A person who, um, well, I mean, it's just all over you. Your life is different. You're different. Do they realize that you're a follower of Christ? So we look at what the Lord says about our work here. I want to give you four things. We'll call them the four B's. They all will begin with the word B. Four B's concerning our work, right from this passage. First of all, when it comes to our work, we notice that we need to be obedient. It says plain and simple in verse 5, to be obedient to your masters. Now, when it comes to work, we're to submit to those in authority over us. And it says we submit as to Christ. We submit as to Christ. We don't submit, of course, if we're asked to do something immoral, illegal, unethical, or sinful. In that regard, we have to obey God rather than man and it may cost us our job if, if your boss asks you to change the financial books or to embezzle money or to lie or do whatever. You don't have to obey them in that. In fact, you shouldn't obey them in that. You say, well, it'll cost me my job. Well, it probably will. But you have to obey God rather than man and trust God in those circumstances. But in the normal day-to-day operation of life and work and you're given assignments and responsibilities and you're giving proper things to do, it says that we're to obey. We're to obey. We're to do what we're told to do. And so we have those in authority over us. And notice it doesn't say obey if you like your boss or if they even make good decisions or if they're even nice and asking. Now, if you have a good boss, you're blessed. Not everybody does. But regardless, it says that we're to obey those in authority over us to carry out the responsibilities that have been entrusted to us as an employee of whatever place we find ourselves. And not only to obey, but we also need to, we need to be respectful. The second B, be respectful. Notice the phrase in verse 5, not only are we to obey those in charge of us, we're to obey with fear and trembling. Obey with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean that you need to cower in fear. It doesn't mean you need to just kind of shake. It doesn't mean to be terrified of your uh, employer or your supervisor or your boss. But it means to be respectful. It means to honor them. It means to recognize that they are in charge and you're to submit to them. Remember, we've been talking about authority. We looked at several weeks now ago um, about the fact that being a Christian in home and the authority structure. We've talked about authority in life. And now we have authority here at work. And so we're respectful to those that are our supervisors, those that are our bosses. 
Um, and we do this as to Christ. We obey them and respect them. And we're ultimately obeying and honoring Christ as we do this. Because remember, the focus here is upon the Lord. And as we serve and work and do what God has told us to do with the right heart, the right motives, the right attitude, as we do that to those in human authority, we're ultimately obeying and honoring Christ in our lives. Now, of course, we are not slaves. We can go from job to job. We can change jobs. But let me just remind you that even in doing that, we should make sure that we're following the leading of the Lord. And we're praying and seeking God's direction in that. So we're to be obedient, we're to be respectful. You know, it's one thing to obey, but it's another thing to do it in the right way. And that brings us to the third B, and that is be genuine. Be genuine. Notice verse 5 ends with this idea. We're to do this with sincerity of heart. Sincerity of heart. Verse 6 says, not with eye service as men pleasers. Sincerity or singleness of heart has the idea of of not being hypocritical, of not being two-faced. We don't speak sugar to the boss's face and then spit poison at his back or her back. In other words, we don't act one way when the boss is around and then when she's not around, we act a totally different way. We're not to be... Uh, doing eye service as men pleasers. We, we don't look out for the... Hey, the boss is coming. The boss is coming. No, get busy. The boss is coming. No, it's not that idea at all. It's not the idea we wait for the boss to come and when she's coming down the hall, we get all busy. You know, oh, I'm nose to the grindstone. And then we goof off the rest of the time when the boss is not around. It means we're genuine, we're honest, we're hardworking. We do a good job regardless if our superior um, is watching us or not watching because we know God is watching us. And we're not ultimately serving just that plant or that boss or that place. We're serving Christ because we belong to Christ. You ever known someone who has their two eyes at work and they use one to watch out for the boss and the other to watch out for the clock? Kind of like one of those... Reptiles that can move their eyes, you know, they got one eye on the boss. Where's the boss? They got the other eye on the clock. Is it five yet? Is it five yet? What a miserable way to live. What a miserable way to live. We're to be genuine, respectful, obedient, to work hard, realizing we're not just serving those people, although we are, but we're ultimately serving Christ. We belong to Christ. It brings up the third B, and that is to be mindful. Be mindful that our work is more than just a way to provide for ourselves and our family. Now, it is that, and we're thankful for that. The Bible even says what if a person doesn't work, neither should they eat. But it's a way to serve and honor God. We've got to be mindful of two things in particular. First of all, be mindful that we are serving Christ. Jot this reference down. I want to read this one to you. Jot this reference down, Colossians 3, 23-25. It says, in whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there's no partiality. And so I want you to think about the fact that as you're working, as you're serving, in whatever capacity that is, you're ultimately, as a believer, you are serving Christ. So if you serve hamburgers, you're serving hamburgers for Christ. 
You're plowing a field. You're plowing a field for Christ. You're teaching a class. You're teaching a class for Christ. In other words, the realization is that I belong to Christ. He saved me. He owns me. He's my Master. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. I love Him. I want to please Him. He's given me this responsibility. He's entrusted me with this authority and whatever sphere it is. And I want to honor Him in it. And I'm going to do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. And so whatever it is that I'm doing, I want to do the very best job, not just for the people I'm serving, although they'll be blessed, but I want to do the best job. Why? Because I'm doing it for Jesus. Wouldn't you have loved, think about it, wouldn't you have loved to have seen some of the, the creations, the, the woodworking that Jesus Christ did? Wouldn't you have loved to have seen that? I, I don't know exactly what He did as far as what He built or repaired or how He worked in, in the carpentry, but in that, I, I just know whatever He did. Oh, wow. Because he, he says what? When, when we saw Him, at the age of 12, what did he say? I must be about what? My father's business. And here's what's interesting. I must be about my father's business and then we don't see or hear anything else about him until he steps out of ministry. So what happened between the age of 12 and then we get to later in life? What's he doing? He's carrying out the responsibilities of life. He's maturing. He's growing. And in wisdom and stature of men, he's, he's learning the Scriptures. He's doing carpentry. He's working. He's doing all these things. He's doing the Father's will. Why? Because he did nothing that was not the Father's will. And part of the Father's will, think about this for Jesus now. Jesus, who is God, He came, took upon Himself, robed Himself in flesh, became the perfect God-man. He submitted Himself to living in the womb of the Virgin Mary, of going through the birthing process, of going through all that we go through, learning to walk, learning to talk, learning to go to the bathroom, all these things. Then learning to talk, learning to grow. And then, and then not just ending there, but for years and years, it says He submitted to the authority of Mary and Joseph. And then even learning the carpentry trade, learning all these things, working, Whatever it is that was part of normal life, He did it for all those years. And that was part of the plan. And He's God. And then there came a day where He stepped out in His public ministry, began preaching and teaching and healing and calling for repentance until He ultimately went to the cross, shed His precious blood, died, and was buried, and then rose again victorious, saving us to believe. But I find it so interesting that much of his earthly life was totally hidden. I mean, we don't know much about it. And it may feel like right now that's your life. As you labor along, you feel like I labor along in obscurity. I labor along in this mundane life. Well, Jesus understands what that is. He's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. And so, whatever it is God has called you to do, whether it's your favorite thing or it's just something that's necessary at the moment, or it's maybe you're on a journey trying to get to the next step in your career or whatever, know that God has you in His sovereign will and His providence where you are at this moment in life, and He has a plan for you there. He works all things together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. 
And sometimes we like our jobs, sometimes we don't. But God has you there. And as He has you there, remember that you are serving His. And here's some more encouragement. Realize, be mindful of the fact that you're serving Christ, but also you're going to be rewarded by Christ. I don't know if you noticed, and and as we read through, we're back in Ephesians chapter 6. This time, verse number 8. It says, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he'll receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. You're going to be rewarded by the Lord. You don't always get rewarded for the good job here. In all honesty, sometimes you labor and labor and labor, and it seems like nobody notices. You might get passed over for the promotion. You don't get the raise. Your job, your, your boss doesn't say good job. You go the extra mile. It seems like nobody cares. But I want to remind you and remember, you're serving Christ. God sees all. God knows all. And it says here, you'll be rewarded for whatever good you do. One day you're going to stand before the Lord. I have a job. I wash dishes at Ponderosa Steakhouse. I it was a busboy there at times. I washed dishes. I worked on the, the buffet, different sections there. Man, that's, a, that's a, something to watch. Let me just tell you, to watch people eat off a buffet. But um, in, in all those areas, I, I didn't always enjoy that. Worked at McDonald's in the back and the front. Done various things, just as you have. And it's real hard to remember when you're washing dishes and serving hamburgers and doing a lot of those things. It's real hard to remember that you're serving Jesus at times in that. You're just trying to make it through the day. That might be your career. You're in a career. Maybe you think, I don't see this changing, but this is difficult. Remember, you're serving the Lord. And as you're serving the Lord, He sees what you're doing. If you do good and you do it with the right heart, right attitude, you're serving Christ as you serve others, you will be rewarded. In fact, the Bible says you give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. He notices and you'll be rewarded. So you don't have to be a preacher or an evangelist to serve the Lord. Whatever He's called you to do, that's your ministry. Serve Him. Serve Him in that place. We really make life more complicated than we have to. I love the story from church history of Martin Luther. Remember the character from church history of Martin Luther? He was approached by a working man, wanted to know how in the world could he, could he, could he serve God. And Luther says, well, what do you do? He says, well, um, I'm a shoemaker. I'm a shoemaker. And he wanted to know how could I serve God being a shoemaker. And much to the cobbler's surprise, Luther replied, then make good shoes and sell them at a fair price. Make good shoes and sell them at a fair price. The author who shared that story went on to say this. Luther didn't tell the man to make Christian shoes. <laughs> His shoes with a cross on them. He didn't tell him to leave the shoe business and become a monk. I like what he said. As Christians, we can faithfully serve God in a variety of vocations and jobs. And we don't need to justify that work in terms of its spiritual value or evangelistic usefulness. We simply pursue our calling with the new God-glorifying motives, goals, and standards. This is how we transform our nine-to-five daily grind into something much more pleasant, something much more meaningful, something that has eternal value to it. We do it as unto the Lord. I want you to think about your job for a moment, whatever it is that you do. 
Some of you are retired. Some of you are just plain tired. Some of you are retired. You're tired again. But whatever it is that God has called you to do, think about your job. The place God has placed you. What could you do to reframe your attitude, your outlook, your feeling towards your job? You may feel good about it. You may not. You may like it. You may not. But what could change in your mind today? What would it look like for you to go into work tomorrow with this mindset? I'm going to serve Jesus in my work today. I don't mean go in praying and laying hands on people. I don't mean being weird. I don't mean any of that. But I mean, what could you do? How could you reframe? How could you think? What would it look like for you to go in tomorrow and say, listen, it's Monday. I'm going to go in today and I'm going to do this job for Jesus. What would that look like? How would that change your outlook? To know that Jesus sees, Jesus knows, Jesus is going to reward you. We'll come back to that in a moment, but we've got to move on to verse 9. Talk about the boss's verse. I'm very quick about this. And you masters do the same thing. I'm reading verse 9. You masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there's no partiality with him. When it comes to the master, to those in authority, maybe you're the boss. God has a word for you. Let me just give you a quick summary. Here are three things. First of all, Care for those under your authority. Notice it says do the same for them. Do the same. That is respect your workers. Honor them. Value them. Realize that God has placed those people under your care. You're to care for them. Care for those under your authority. Secondly, don't threaten those under your authority. It's so counterculture, they tell me, to this time, because slaves and masters, masters didn't have to answer to anybody. They treated their slaves however they wanted to. This is so counterculture to say, don't threaten those under your authority. No, as believers, we should treat those under our authority with loving leadership, with respect and honor. Listen, if you have to tell everybody you're the boss, you probably aren't much of a boss. You have to lord that over people. You're not much of a boss. Loving leadership. Thirdly, remember that you're under God's authority. It says here that you're a master in heaven. In other words, everybody's under authority. Everybody's going to stand before the Lord. And if the Lord's placed employees under you as an employer or you're the supervisor or you're the boss or whatever, one day you're going to stand before the Lord and give an account of how you treated those under your authority. That's just plain and simple. Now, we're out of time, but I want to ask you, what, what about you? It's Sunday that Monday's coming. It's Sunday that Monday's coming. What needs to change in your outlook and your thought about your job? What attitude do you need to take to, the, to, to your job tomorrow? What, what needs to change in your operations and your thinking? How can you serve the Lord where He's placed you to serve? Life will be a lot more pleasant. Work will be a lot more pleasant. I didn't say easy. We know work is hard. Why? Because of the fall. There's always going to be problems. There's always going to be issues. I tell you, in my work, there's always problems. There's always issues. There's always issues. But to realize that we serve Christ. He sees all. He knows all. And He'll reward us.
as we serve. I think the best thing for us to do before we sing is just to give you a moment, to give me a moment just to bow in prayer and to talk to the Lord about our work, whatever it is, and ask Him to help us to see our work as something He's given to us and something we can use to serve others and serve Him. Would you bow with me real quick? I want to give you a quiet moment to pray right there in your seat. And I'm going to be praying here. And then we'll pray and then we'll close. Father, thank you for the gift of work. We can make a meaningful difference in other people's lives. We can serve other people in various ways. We know that's good for us. We know it's good for others. Help us to see our work as something we do for you. As we're serving in whatever capacity we serve you. Help us to do a good job for you. Help us to realize that you'll reward accordingly. Help us to realize when nobody else notices, you notice. Help us, Lord, change our attitude, our mindset, our outlook. Transform our vocation into a place where we just bring much honor and glory to you and just carrying out the responsibilities to the best of our ability with your help. Thank you for those who labor in so many different areas in this body of Christ. Thank you that you care about the day-to-day grind, as we sometimes call it. Thank you there's meaning and purpose in it. And even in, the, even in doing those things, you're maturing us and shaping us and preparing us and making us more like the Lord Jesus. For those of us who have authority over other people, may we treat them with kindness and respect. May we truly care for them, knowing that we're going to give an account of how we carried out that authority in their lives. We're going to give account to you. We're going to stand before you and answer to you. And we want to hear those precious words, well done, good and faithful servant. So help us, I pray, this week and in the days to come to glorify you in our lives and our vocations. In Jesus' name, amen. Just one verse. We're out of time today. 3.13. Again, a reminder that I'll be here afterward if we need to talk about baptism or membership or some other need that you might have. Uh, by all means, we want to get those things taken care of. But I thought a great hymn to end on, and we'll just sing the first verse. It's so appropriate. Take the name of Jesus with you. That's what you're doing. That's what you're doing as you live life as a believer. 3.13, one verse, then we're dismissed. Let's stand together and sing.
Yeah.